Hello, everybody, and welcome to the 227th episode of MTG Fast Finance, the podcast that still stands, as should we all, with the movement to end racial injustice and to fund police services in favor of more effective options. I would really love to be able to update this paragraph to something else, but the fact of the matter is, still more work to be done. MTG Fast Finance is your weekly podcast covering the world of Magic the Gathering finance, collection management, and speculation. I'm your host, James Chilcott, a.k.a. at MDG Critic on Twitter. My co-host this week is Cliff Daigle, a.k.a. at Word of Commander, and we're here to help you folks make and save money playing our favorite game, Magic the Gathering. Hello, everybody. Glad to be here. Looking forward to sharing some valuable information with all of you. This show, as always, is produced by MTGPrice.com, the leading MTG Finance community. Sign up today at MTGPrice.com to track your specs, chat on Discord, and read articles by some of the best financial minds in the hobby. MDG Fast Finance is proudly sponsored by Cool Stuff Inc., where you can find all sorts of cool nerdy stuff in stock, including all the best in Magic the Gathering single sealed product and a plethora of other collectibles. Use the promo code FINANCE5, that's the number 5, during checkout at CoolStuffInc.com to save 5% off your order and support this podcast. Cliff, can you give us the breakdown on the weekly events? Uh, this week, we are going to talk about all the fun stuff that went down on Magic Online. We got some pioneers and moderns going on. We're going to have segment two, the top movers in paper. Uh, we, you know, nothing stops in a pandemic, including people wanting to make sure they have the sweetest thing in Commander and whatnot. We, uh, next up after that, we're going to stop off with the Magic Online movers. Uh, I bet you didn't know what just went up by 4,000%. Uh, we're going to talk about our picks for the week in paper, and we're going to get to our topic of the week which is going to be Japanese War the Spark, how sweet a deal it really is, including how sweet a deal our pro traders had access to. You bought a bunch, I didn't, and I feel silly for it. And we <laughs> found out today there's going to be some bannings or unbannings. Who knows? It could be anything. Yeah, there's it's a few options there. Uh, War the Spark might be, Japanese War the Spark might be the best sealed product you could possibly lay your hands on right now so we'll talk about that in more detail we did touch on it somewhat when we were talking about the amano lilies last week but uh there's some more information and uh, things have moved along with some of the related prices so definitely worth another look uh, we'll also talk through those bannings but we'll kick things off with the mtgo metagame week in review first thing we're going to look at this week is the pioneer preliminary from july 2nd let me just get cliff a link here since he's going to need to catch up uh, the thing that's interesting about pioneer is that very few of the uh challenge events which i think had a 64 person limit or uh, 64 person minimum to kick off recently have been actually been firing and they had to uh, moved the limit down to 32, then they moved it back up to 64, I think, and people were complaining on Twitter this weekend that nothing was firing. So I had to go back all the way to July 2nd to find a preliminary that went off. And even in this top eight, this tournament is so small that there are three and two decks in the top eight list. So Pioneer is hurting on Magic Online, and I'm very curious to see what how that will translate or not to paper once uh, we rejoin uh, you know, the paper community this year or next. Pioneer's a good format, as good as anything else in the constructed lands, but just didn't have enough time to get momentum building, so anything could happen. Now, when we get to bannings uh, in segment four, we'll talk a little bit about what might help shake things up and get people interested again, because 
The deck that is most likely to be related to the Pioneer portion of the banning announcement has to be this blue-black inverter list that shows them a top 8, after top 8, after top 8. Never super, super dominant, although this week looks worse than most. I think four of the top eight, first, second, seventh, and eighth were all blue-black inverter decks. Um, but the deck's been there basically since uh, Thassa's Oracle was printed. And unclear to me whether Wizard's stats for the format say that inverter is too good. I mean, it's probably a huge part of the metagame. Um... Let's see if we can use the uh, the metagame tool over here. But the thing is, is that they're not worried about a deck being... Well, I mean, they are worried about a deck being overpowered, but we did have a first in... Um, what event was it where you had 32 copies of Ghost Spiral in the top eight? That was like a month ago, right? In the standard event? Yes. But the, the inverter deck, is, it, the biggest problem is just the consistency and the difficulty of interaction... Right. I said this, I think, last week. It's triggered abilities. It's not even like Splinter Twin. Splinter Twin was a more fair combo than this. Yeah. And Truth. That's a that is a <laughs> that's a pretty messed up sentiment. So uh, I I think you're right. Something from this deck has to go, even if it's not constantly the top deck. It's having to be constantly targeted or planned for, and that is that might be contributing to it. Plus. Maybe it just needs a good couple of bands to make people say, oh, well, now that this isn't a problem, I do want to do this. So in the rest of this top eight, there actually are a couple of interesting decks. And third place, we had a Sultai uh, control mid-range build um, that has Atris, Jace Prince Prodigy, Murderous Rider, Seder Wayfinder, Tireless Tracker, Four Uro, One Walking Ballista, Four Thoughtseize, Four Traverse the Ulvenwald, Two Abrupt Decay, two Eat to Extinction, uh, four Fatal Push, one Heartless Act, and three Shark Typhoon. That sounds like a deck right up my alley. Um, but then in fourth place, we're getting real spicy. Black Red Reanimator went four and one in this tournament, so relatively small sample size. Really would like to see the deck do more work over time before I would get too excited. But this thing is running two Archfiend's Vessel. This is out of uh, Core 21. It's a 1-1 one, one for 1 black with lifelink. But if it enters the battlefield and it entered from your graveyard or you cast it uh, from your graveyard, you exile it. And if you do, you create a 5-5 five, five black demon creature token with flying instead. Now the rest of the deck is Dreadhorde Arcanist, Croxa, 4 Stitcher Supplier, and 4 Young Pyromancer. And then they run 3 Call of the Death Dweller, which is the uh, sorcery out of Ikoria that I've was looking to break almost immediately and a lot of people were more excited about the card when they thought that it could bring uh two creatures back from the graveyard to the battlefield with three casting costs or less but it's three casting costs total amongst the creatures so in this case though you can bring archmean's vessel and croxa back which would be a six six and a five five flyer croxa would trigger your opponent would lose three life, discard a card, and then Croxa would probably die again uh, because it hadn't been escaped. Uh, but you would still have a 5-5 five, five flyer, have dealt three damage, and made them discard a card for three mana. What I really like is the um, the Dreadheart Arcanist in here, which is going to let you recast your uh, claim to fame without doing any extra work. And it's going to get you that extra reanimation of 
the Croxa or the Pyromancer or whatever, you know, get back another Arcanist. Arcanist is a card that, like, I can't believe is as cheap as it is. Like, this feels like a card that should have busted Legacy wide open, but hasn't, you know, had that huge impact I would have expected. But, you know, it's still really amazing, and uh, Croxa is just spicier than anything in this deck. I, I, this is This looks like fun. The thing about Dreadhorde Arcanist is that it has showed up in Pioneer, in Modern, and in Legacy four of most of the time and because we just don't have paper magic the preponderance of top eight appearances that it might have made this year just isn't driving the paper sales but it's when i was cracking uh war of the spark booster boxes today japanese war of the spark booster boxes this rare frequently seems to show up as a two of per box there's four or five of the rows that i flagged having opened 20 or 30 boxes of japanese war that the arcanist is certainly in that short list and i'm always happy they're only like two or three bucks or whatever on tcg player but i'm always happy to get copies of it because i have confidence that it'll be a five to ten dollar card down the road the other cute little combo here is that in a deck that has uh creature tokens off young pyromancer and it also has three uh so it's basically you can use the young pyromancer tokens and then cast village rights which is also out of core 21 which is the one mana Sack a creature, draw two cards to keep accelerating your deck. And or because that's instant speed, you could do that with Crox's trigger on the stack. So you could go call the Death Dweller, bring back the vessel, get the 5-5 five, five flyer, Crox's triggers go on the stack, then you sack it to village rights and draw two more cards. I mean, yeah, that's that's exactly what I was going to say, is Crox's uh, trigger on, uh, on the stack, village rights, like you're just doing all kinds of unfair things and uh that that's really where i like to be in magic i, I yeah. believe that there is a finite amount of fun and it should all be mine <laughs> so we've seen tricolor planeswalker brews all over the place in pioneer and modern lately and in modern on the back of arkham's astrolab and here in pioneer the fifth place deck was esper planeswalkers with 16 planeswalkers in this brew one Ashiok, Nightmare Muse, two Kaya, Orzava, Serper, four Narset, Parter of Veils, two Teferi, Hero of Dominaria, three Teferi, Master of Time, and four Teferi, Time Raveler. Seven copies of three different Teferis. Could you be more obnoxious to your opponent? Well, I mean, you're not playing Teferi's Oath, so clearly not. And the deck is also running four Supreme Verdict, four Thought Erasure, four Thoughtseize, three Eliminate, which is the new... Uh, Creature or Planeswalker with converted mana cost three or less destroy spell out of uh, core 21. Three Mystical Dispute, two Thassa's Intervention in the main. That lets you uh, tutor up a card off the top of your deck or uh, counter spells. Four Oath of Kaya, since you've got 16 Planeswalkers, you may as well uh, drain for three every time you uh, put that into play. And then uh, it deals two damage to that player and you gain two life whenever they attack one of your Planeswalkers. So... That's uh, rough. Uh, when you're going three mana to fairy into four mana to fairy into five mana to fairy, and you've also got four omen of the sea to get things, get your uh, find the right cards at the right time, and a shark typhoon, thirty-five land in that deck, and it's a Yorion deck, so you can trigger a bunch of your planeswalkers, then Yorion reset them all and use their abilities again in the same turn. I love 80 card decks. I, I I get why it's a thing, but man, this just 
they're just resetting the planeswalkers for value and you get an extra oath or omen trigger and that's about it you're not doing anything super overpowered aside from playing a five mana four five flyer you're getting an extra you know lightning helix and an extra uh what is it preordain is oath to see preordain or pot no it's preordain and you know it's just good it's just good there's also basically no win conditions here except Ashiok Nightmare Muse and the Shark Typhoon. <laughs> oh, you, this is this is and a, I guess... your opponent concedes deck. This that's a hundred percent what this is. Like you've got four different planeswalkers on the field. You can't search your library, you can't draw an extra card, uh, you can't play stuff except uh, during your turn. They've got uh, mana up for counterspelling stuff, and you just feel like, there's no point living, and you just concede and move on with your life. Yeah. So, Pioneer, a little rocky on Magic Online right now, but there is some uh, some bright sparks. So we'll see whether or not the what the bannings do. I mean, if Inverter's knocked out, that certainly opens up the format. And if Pioneer catches one or two bans, like, say it was something like Uro and something from Inverter, then Pioneer would get significantly more interesting. Um, all right, so looking, taking a look at the modern challenge from July fifth, which is a, a healthier format, but still, I have noticed that there is trophies spiked early on with COVID and have been trailing downhill since, um, which suggests that people are playing more arena um, on the competitive side of things. Given that Wizards has get only really given them impetus to pay attention to arena and standard, so modern challenge first place Eldrazi Tron. Nothing new or exciting in there, really. The green-red Ponza deck that runs three Clothis God of Destiny was in second. This deck has been doing well for months, kind of in despite anything else that's been going on in the format. So Clothis uh, looking reasonably solid for the long term. And then probably the most interesting deck here was a Teamer Control build with seven Planeswalkers, one Ashiok Dream Render, two Jace the Mind Sculptor, one Narset Parter of Veils, and three Renin Six. Nasty group of planeswalkers there. And then four Ice Fang Kowadl, one Snapcaster Mage, three Uro, two Sweltering Suns, two Archmage's Charm, three Cryptic Command, three Force of Negation, four Lightning Bolt, three Mana Leak, and four Arkham's Astrolab. Uh, Astrolab could easily be the card that has a target on its back for a modern banning. It just enables so much three color nonsense. And uh, I'm curious to see how many of these three color control builds will survive. Without it, I you know what we're I'm gonna I'm gonna save my talk about uh, Astrolabe for later, but anything with uh, Sweltering Suns is, and Archmage's Charm is gonna get my attention. Um, this doesn't have this is modern. How come they don't have any of the um, filter lanes? Was the really surprising one to me. Well, probably because Astrolab fixes so hard. Oh, that's right. I'm an idiot. Okay, well, let's move on then. You're right. Ugh. Ugh. And they're running all the snow coverts. So, over in fourth place, you have green-white creature combo, which is uh, just the f four, three or four different creature combos that you can run in, in modern with Finale of Devastation. Uh, Eladomri's Call, which is probably an undervalued foil right now. And this is a Lurus deck. They're still running their Lurus of the Dream Den in, in the sideboard um, because it allows them to get back pretty much all of their 22 creatures. Yes, please. More. Uh, give me all the Luris decks, all the cheap things. Uh, swarm these people out before they go crazy on the ad nauseum uh, foolishness. 
Bant Control in 5th, Ad Nauseam in 6th, Celtai Control in 7th. All of these quote-unquote control decks are all running Uro. So that could be a card that's on the agenda to get nailed here. And fortunately, I'm not real deep on those. In my uh, Theros Collector Booster boxes, I opened a couple, sold them pretty quickly. I think the only one I have left is maybe a Japanese Extended Art Uro or something, which would still have a home in Commander decks even if it catches a ban here. I mean, Uro is a ridiculous card, and the it just... I don't know what, what was being piped into the air in R&D during the time of Throne of Eldraine, but there's a lot of things where you're just like, this does this and this and this? Like, look at um, Oko. Like, Oko sh- probably should have cost four or five mana. Um, Uro should not have triggered on attack. Uh, there's a, a lot of things that you could point to as, like, well, what did you expect? You're making this set with some of the most broken cards we've ever made, and the mana costs are way out of sync. And once upon a time for zero? Sure, buddy. Sure. The, the reality is that they it's pretty clear what they were doing. They were trying to use push cards to sell sets. If you look at Theros Beyond Death, the design ethos that starts way back in War of the Spark, I would argue, continues on there and pretty much... All the major cards from Theros are dominating in Pioneer. So you have Underworld Breach combo with Lotus Field on the back of Underworld Breach. You have Thassa's Oracle in the blue-black inverter deck, and you have Uro everywhere else. Um, and the same situation was present with Eldraine, but they, they were so bad that they banned them. <laughs> right. I would, so. I would not be shocked if, uh, if, if, there, if Uro was the ban in other formats. Um, I'm trying to remember if a card's been banned in... Uh, you know, we'll get to, to the bans later. We'll, let's finish talking about these. So 8th place is the only other deck that caught my attention. Snoop Goblins. Conspicuous Snoop is a 4 of. Black Red Goblins. Antis Hovel is going to keep climbing for sure. That's a Lorman card that was available dirt cheap for years and is now paying off. Uh, Sling Gang Lieutenant shows up on our top movers list in foil because it's from Modern Horizons. We talked about it last week. It sees additional movement this week. And I could easily see some of the rare goblins in here uh, mix in motion as well. Yep. Uh, uh, Ether Vial is a card that every once in a while people stop playing for some reason. But in aggressive creature decks, this one mana will save you probably 6 to 10 mana over the course of a game, depending on if you get to turn 5. Yeah. Um, actually, I made a mistake over in Pioneer. We need to go double back on one of these decks. Um Sultai Dredge in Pioneer. This deck only went 3 and 2, but this is crazy pants. 2 Deathrite Shaman, 2 Haunted Dead, 4 Narc Amoeba, 4 Prized Amalgam, 4 Seder Wayfinder, 4 Silver Smote Ghoul. Guarantee you I didn't know this card existed. It's from Core 21. 2 and a black for a 3-1 Zombie Vampire. At the beginning of your end step, if you gain 3 or more life this turn, return it from your graveyard to the battlefield tapped. For one and a black, sack it, draw a card. Four Stitcher Supplier, four Uro, four Creeping Chill, and four Gather the Pack, and four Grizzly Salvage. So you're just loading up with your graveyard with a bunch of stuff that pops back out. That's pretty much the plan. Um, the fun combo with Silver Smoke Ghoul is it immediately triggers off of Creeping Chill. 
So if you had the right stitcher supplier, if you milled, say, Creeping Chill, Several Smoke Ghoul, Narcamoeba, you, now you have a 1-1 flyer, a 1-1 that you played, the 3-1 that came back, and you've already drained them for three. <laughs> like, I've been, um, I saw this, a deck playing something like this on Arena, and I played around with it a little bit, and it's, it's pretty fun. You're just targeting yourself with all the mills, and you're hoping to hit phoenixes and play some spells. But it also had this combo of Silver Smoke Ghoul and Creeping Chill. And um, what's Creeping Chill at right now? Let's take a quick look. Creeping Chill. I mean, this looks like it's it's aimed to take advantage of the fact that the format is not particularly graveyard dependent right now, like it was during Lurus. So. Most of the sideboards yeah. I'm looking at in this top eight did not have were not packing graveyard heat. Hmm. There's only fourteen people with uh, copies of Creeping Chill in foil, but there's some big bricks over thirteen dollars. We got person with ten, person with six, person with eight, and it, but it's just a bunch of singles. Like if you went in and you wanted to spend a hundred dollars and buy up. Uh, you know, a quick mm, 20 copies-ish. I love these people who are like, this card is $4.08 with $5 shipping. <laughs> Thanks a bunch, buddy. Thanks yeah. a bunch. They're looking to trick. Don't be tricky. Just post your stuff. <laughs> I need that as my tagline somewhere. All right. So let's move on to fast movers. Take a look at the stuff that's been moving this week. Honestly, there was dozens and dozens of cards. As for usual, we have to curate pretty heavily here uh, during COVID because there's a lot of motion. This whole situation with buy lists being at lowered capacity is, you know, playing out week after week as spike after spike. So first thing we have here is a card out of Jumpstart, and it won't be the last one on the list. Allosaurus Shepherd is effectively a mythic um, out of the Jumpstart packs. And in theory, went from 70 to $91 after having started significantly lower. I don't know what the first posted prices were, something like $20, $30, And the reality is that Jumpstart didn't get a full Wave 1 print run. So Wizards was only able to fill partial allocations across North America. And the set was delayed week by weeks overseas. There just aren't enough copies of Jumpstart uh, cards around. And the 5 or 10 top cards are all super super elevated as a result and therefore they're all hot sells because i guarantee you that eventually a second wave and a third wave of jumpstart will hit this will be a product that Wizards will keep on the shelves for better part of a year probably um unless things take a the, the economy takes a serious nosedive and they don't think they can push them through the distribution chain and as a result there will be some some moment down the road where jumpstart boxes are out there looking pretty cheap and people crack them on mass and some of this inventory backfills now given everything else that's going on it might not backfill as much as it normally would so you know is allosaurus shepherd going to stay you know get down as low as 20 or 30 maybe not maybe it's a 40 or 50 dollar card even after that next subsequent wave but there's still if you've cracked any of this because you got your order early pre-orders fulfilled they're still all sells because you can basically cover your box with two or three cards and keep the rest. Yeah, uh, Jumpstart is, uh, is, like you said, it's going to be in several places on this list. Um, I'm I'm selling into the into the hype, into the scarcity. There's not enough to go around for all the people that like to keep their 
decks uh, updated during the pandemic. There's a lot more people doing that than I thought there would be. Uh, I'm not sure if it's people who like to play webcam, uh, Commander via webcam, or uh, they just want the new thing immediately. But there has been a lot more growth in uh, EDH cards than uh, I would have predicted at the beginning of all this. I think it. Honestly, my interpretation is is not that it's that there is very much webcam play. I would guess that single digit percentage of commander players have even attempted webcam play. My guess is that the collectible and hobby aspect of this game was vastly underestimated. Wizards has told us for years that the biggest portion of the Magic community is the casuals that are, don't show up to yell at them on Twitter, um, and they know that from dem- demographics research, right? And so those of us that are in the thick of it, the hyper-competitive players, the pros, the people that create content or consume a lot of content, that spend a lot of time arguing about magic on social media, tend to think of ourselves as the core of the community. But the reality is that even if you're looking at, say, the sub-niche of MTG Finance, no matter how hard we go at some of these cards, our impact on the overall magic economy is so trivial by comparison to what happens if players are perfectly comfortable buying cards, buying product, building decks, just because they're bored at home and need something to do. I don't know. <laughs> um, like I, I was talking to, a, I was talking to a, a large, large and long successful store here in Toronto with 20 plus years experience um, in the community and asked them how their magic sales have been since COVID. And they said they have nearly doubled. Well, that makes sense because you can't, People can't buy from their local store, so you have to go online. But I'm just continuously surprised by the number of people willing to spend money. I thought there'd just be more saving. Uh, I thought there'd be less, I need to have this card right now. But that, that need to have the card has simply gone from, I guess, trading for it in person or buying it from your store immediately when you see it in a case to... Oh, it's on eBay. I want it. I heard about it. It has to be mine right now. That's... Travis and I have tackled this. I, I think the other part of the magic demographics that have been underestimated is that, sure, lots of people that are on rel- you know, lower middle class incomes probably play the game. Um, but I think the majority of the sales are to upper middle class people. So people that have household incomes 100000 plus are the ones who have always bought the majority of the product. Or at least... Um, are in position to make up some of the ground. If they're extra bored, they never their job was never threatened. If you're a doctor, a, a lawyer, a, a computer programmer, etc., you've been paid this whole time for the most part. And you might still have uncertainty uh, about your future, but you've also been bored this whole time. So you're out there, you're buying product. You know, All I have to do is look at what our uh, pro traders have been up to, hundreds of people that are buying thousands of dollars worth of product while they've been stuck at home for COVID. And, you know, I think collectively today we cracked like a couple hundred boxes of Japanese war. (laughs) So we'll get there. We'll get there. People are out there spending money on this game. Now I, I do have worries about longer term because I think that there is some point where if paper magic in person never rematerializes, you, you have to see some decline in commitment to the brand. Like, if it doesn't come back in six months, are you okay? Like, pr- 
probably, but what does that do to your LGS network? If it goes to nine, if it goes to 12 months, you know, what does that look like? One of the things that is probably saving uh, the bigger stores in the LGS network is that they, if they are diversified and also offer a bunch of other hobbies. So if they've got D&D books and they've got, um, you know, miniature stuff, they've got Warhammer stuff secondhand, they've got models, um, they've got board games, they may be doing very well with all of that if they have, you know, good supply chain management, good inventory management. But that's going to be your mid-tier to larger stores. It's the small town USA stores that are in the most trouble. The the ones that aren't that were running more like a clubhouse, as it were. All right, I can see that. All right, so let's move right through the rest of this stuff. Urborg Tomb of Yogmoth out of uh, Planar Chaos, last printed in UMA. Original copies going from thirty to forty-five. You know, none are coming in through buy list. So, what's going to happen? Uh, Mana Drain out of Legends, in theory, on uh, going from 240 to 400. Take this with a grain of salt. This is about you know people snapping off some copies of a card that is not on the reserve list and has been reprinted, but not very often. And you know original copies of iconic cards from the early days of Magic will be under some pressure in the current scenario. Yeah, I I would not be shocked if it held a price around 300, maybe 320, 340. But, you know, 400 is a pretty high jump, and if you could get something like that, I mean, if you had a Legends Mana Drain and somebody offered you 375, would you take it? All of that kind of stuff, and I was, I went through a, my box of, like, longer-term holdings on stream last night on Twitch, um, twitch.tv slash mtgcritic if people want to check that out. Uh, we were looking over a Japanese spec package, uh, cracked a box of war, a couple boxes of Japanese War of the Spark and uh, went through some of the long-term holdings. And I'm not selling any of that stuff right now because it's they're not priority sales. They are, they are cards that tend to stay even or slowly go up over time. So if something spikes super, super hard, I may pull you know a card out a month or something to sell. Like I, I sold a Judge Foil Wheel of Fortune not so long ago because it had essentially doubled since I buy-listed into it. And... As that those you know items of opportunity arise, that's fine. But I'm not in a rush to go out and try to sell duels into this situation when I can be focused on flipping foil Mothras for double or whatever. Fair enough. I I probably wouldn't be either. Like the number of these in circulation is so small that um, I don't think I would be in a hurry to to move mine either. I don't have any, but if I did, um, you know. The reprints only make it that much more desirable as the copy to have. You know what I mean? It can, sometimes a reprint like that can just draw attention to the original copy. Yeah. I, I haven't taken a look at what's happened with Grim Tutor, but maybe we will later in the cast just to see whether the original copies of Grim Tutor have come down to meet uh, the copies that are commonly available in Core 21. The couple more uh, cards at a jumpstart, Emiel the Blessed, that's the Unicorn, and Zerzoth, Chaos Rider. Uh, Emiel from 30 to 50, Zerzoth 18 to 35, not surprised by either of those. Same situation as with Allosaurus Shepherd. Sling Gang Lieutenant was mentioned in the Conspicuous Snoop deck. Uh, foils going from 450 to 850, that's at a Modern Horizon, so not hard from foil, for foils from that set to move. 
Um, this next card I don't think I knew existed. Forced Fruition out of Lorwyn. Foils going from 22 to 48. Whenever your opponent would draw a card, they draw seven cards instead. That seems like a fun kill vehicle in Commander. That That's exactly what it is. It's one of the best things you can do to somebody after you mill them when you're trying to mill them out. This is basically every turn mill them for seven. Right. Uh, there aren't many Commander decks that can play their whole hand in a turn. And this is just going to, you know, put... You, you think like, oh, this is a drawback, but really you're going to end up uh, just buzzsawing through a deck, especially if you're playing something like Windfall. Yeah. Uh, doubling back on Grim Tutor, there are copies as low as $167 currently on TCG, but there's only nine listings, which shows that even with the amount of attention brought on the card, there aren't that many people panic selling. And... I suspect that means that people were saying that original copies were going to get down under 50. I don't see that happening. Oh, I, I think that talk. because this came out of starter 1999, which was a million trillion years ago, 21 to be precise, the, <laughs> the odds that this is going to, that enough copies will even manifest in the market to drive the price down is just seems unlikely. I could see this stabilizing anywhere between 100 and 200 a year from now. Um, on these original copies. And the reality is it's just going to be treated as a premium version of a what should end up being a pretty cheap card in the Core 21 version. Um, I'm with you on that. Like, You have better options in Commander, and if you're playing Grim Tutor, uh, that just means you are that combo deck and you just need every single card that says, in some fashion, put a card from your library mm -hmm. into your hand. You're playing yeah. that heavy a combo deck. Everybody will know you on site. You'll end the game on turn three, and everybody will play another ten turns without you. Yeah. Uh, seventh foils show up on our list pretty frequently lately, and really it's scare scarcely a month goes by where you don't have some seventh foil you've got to talk about on here. Shivan Dragon foil seventh from 75 to 175. I've actually owned and flipped one of these in the last couple of years. They are gorgeous in person. Like, if you care about seventh foils this is one of the better ones and if you think if shivan dragon is important to you as a nostalgia piece this is one of the better ones to own for sure um i was showing off a foil japanese seventh edition counter spell that i scooped in japan for a hundred bucks um and talking about how i expected to get one that i thought like market price was somewhere between 140 and 150 right now but that i'm in again that's the kind of card i'm in zero rush to flip because foil seventh is rare enough foil seventh japanese even crazier Especially if the card is actually playable in Commander, like Counterspell. I'm surprised you haven't put uh, Foil 7th Edition Counterspell into a Commander deck. I mean, that's a totally reasonable place for me to store it, given that my Commander decks are all hard-cased. <laughs> that's... Uh, one of these... Wait, how hard-cased are we talking here, bud? They're all in top loaders. Okay, so we got the, uh, the quad-sleeving going on. I respect that. I, I don't quad-sleeve. It's just... It's usually double-sleeved inside a top loader. So they go clack, clack, clack while I shuffle them. It sounds like it hurts the hands. I, I, I was playing at Vegas uh, against Jason Alt and the EDH rec crew, and Jason's eyes rolled so hard they almost broke his forehead. I can see that. <laughs> I can see that. So further on this list, Azuri's Predation out of Commander 2015. I think that's the only time mm -hmm. that's ever been printed. 5 to $12. Um, this is a... 
fight-related card, and I can't recall which Core 21 card this pertains to, but I have a feeling there was a fighty, a fighty card of note. Oh, wasn't this uh, featured on um, uh, Game Nights or something? I could have sworn what that's commander why was it? Oh, is there is there a new some fighting green commander? commander? I don't remember. No, there's no new fighting commander. It's just um, this one puts something puts three threes into play for each of for each creature they control. I think. Uh, let me look real quick. It was in Legendary Cube. Uh, for each creature your opponent's control, put a four four beast into play, and each of those beasts fights a different creature. So you do something fun like combo it with. Um, uh, hexproof and destructive heroic intervention, uh, anything like that, and you'll be having a good time. Nayeth of the Dire Hunt is uh, the card we're talking about. It's two and double green, the three three. Whenever one or more creatures you control fight or become blocked, draw a card. So predation basically ends up at uh, kill everything that isn't a four four and draw a card for each creature in play that isn't that is a that exists. That's all that is. And is That's that is that Core Twenty One or Jumpstart? That is out of Jumpstart. Yeah, I had a feeling. All right, so moving right along, Honden of Seeing Winds. This is regular copies out of Eternal Masters, going from a dollar to four dollars. This is on the back of the five color Honden's deck, being a fairly popular one on EDH Rec. I think it was in the top ten, certainly if not the top five for the last few weeks. Um. And people, I think people figured that it would pique some interest, but I don't, I'm not sure that most of the commander experts saw this this coming as being as popular as it has been thus far. Um, I mean, this is the sweet. sanctum of all deck, uh, yeah. and it's not actually your commander. Sorry, it's the legendary enchantment, and usually you play it with. Sisse um, out of Modern Horizons as your commander because it lets you search up your missing Hondans and put them into play. But it's built around Sanctum of All. Yeah, Sisse just lets you um, start things off and uh, get going. And she's a fun five-color choice. You know, it would be um, finding uh, original Sisse in this deck is really where you want to be because it's tap, go find a shrine. But uh, as as five color commanders go, this is a pretty good choice. Yes, I I, I was wrong. She's, it wasn't a top ten deck in the past week. It's the top deck. Sisse Weatherlight Captain. Two two <laughs> two and a white. Put it gets a plus one plus one for each color among other legendary permanents you control. So you get five Hondans in play. She's a seven seven. And then for Wooberg, you can search your library for a legendary permanent card with converted mana cost less than her power and put it on the battlefield. So you just start pulling out Hondans until she's big and you're pulling them out constantly. Fun times. Uh, in the past month, she was second uh, only to Golos. And the rest of that five, while we're on topic, Kalamax in third, Kenrith in fourth, and Zaxara in fifth. Uh, with yeah. the everlasting Atraxa in sixth. Finishing things off, Battle of Wits out of Odyssey foils from 350 to 15. It's been out of print for a while now. Cling to Dust Foils at a Theros Beyond Death. I know I have noted that these often show up in Theros Collector Boosters. Um, foil Uncommons drop there uh, in multiple slots. So make sure you put these aside if you're cracking those because uh, they've moved from $1 to $5. It's a strong anti-sideboard card in Pioneer. Shows up uh, uh, more frequently than you might imagine. 
And then, unfortunately, the final pick of the week is Descendants Path Foils out of Avacyn Restored, a card that I built an Eldrazi brew around at one point. Um, because when you cast a creature, you get to check cards off the top of your library, and if it's a creature of the same type, you get to put it into play for free. So you can do something like cast a Matter Reshaper into Ulamog. Yeah. Yeah. But it's Therese Nielsen art, which is why it's spiking, uh, and I don't want any part of that nonsense. Unfortunately, I have a bunch of these foils from before there was controversy uh, just sitting around. So I guess they go in the if I sell, donate to charity pile. And foils of this are in theory over $100 now, which is ridiculous. No, that's a that's a made-up price, people. Um, I did some checking on this one. You can find uh, foils on eBay for a lot less, um, especially in other languages. Uh, there's just right now on TCG, there's three listings. Uh, two of them are in English foil, and uh, they're on there for ridiculous prices. And, um, you know, like you said, it's come up as a combo card. Mutavault has always been a popular choice to... You know, enable whatever combo creature type you're going for, since Mutavault is already every creature type. Yeah. All right. So that's the what happened with Paper Movers. Uh, we can talk a little bit about Magic Online. We got Maze Mind Tome from Core Twenty One going from nine cents to three dollars and seventy eight. Talk about your underrated card of the set. This thing showed up in a as a four of in a modern deck. Uh, this week and that is big big gains if you happened to have targeted it early yeah i mean it's two mana and you immediately get the scry um and you'll gain the life eventually you know you get even if you just go scry 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 it's free and if your deck you know has artifact synergies or you just want something to do early it it's there i've seen this in um people trying to put together the Mystic Forge deck in standard while it's still legal. You know, there's a, a lot of fun things you can do, and it's just a, a fun way to get to whatever bigger thing you're trying to make happen. In modern, it's being mostly played in Eldrazitron, uh, usually as a two of. I mean, it's fun to make sure your matter reshaper triggers are going to be what you want them to be. Sure. Yeah. So, I, I would be a seller on Magic Online uh, at four bucks uh, for this card. Drafting's not done yet. Uh, Jorail Monvali Recluse, uh, going from 50 cents to 240. I would assume that is on the back of her being featured in the latest Game Nights episode. Splinter Twin, up from 75 cents to 235. This is the... Uh, bannings are coming, so Splinter Twin might be unbanned, Spike, that you see over and over and over again. <laughs> We call this the Stoneforge Mystic Spike, sir. So silly. Shark Typhoon out of Ikoria from 3 to $7. Not surprised by that one. It's all over the place. Uh, burnt Offering from the Treasure Chest from 330 to 559 I have to assume that's because Treasure Chest uh, drop rates that are relatively low are even lower now because the total card pool was increased, So, and the drop rates are all relative. Um, so that's probably what's going on there. And then Rin and Siri Inseparable, uh, the box topper from M21, going from 263 to 443, 69% gains um, on the back of Commander Play, presumably. Yeah, people want to build some dog and cat decks. Let's let's go to the pony show. 
I'm actually unclear on whether you can't open Rin and Pack, so I think that is probably treasure chest um, online, which and it probably has a relatively low drop rate. Oh, probably. You're right about that. All right, so moving on to segment three, paper cards to watch. Um, I've got a theme here, five picks, four of which are all pretty much same theme, and then uh, one pick from Core 21. So we're going to talk about Japanese war in segment four, but suffice to say, folks have been out there targeting lots of cards lately that are in relatively short supply, and Japanese war alternate art anime planeswalker foils are drying up all over the place. And it's pretty much all of the top 60% of them or so. So most of the really big ticket ones have been targeted real hard. I opened a Japanese war box today that had a foil Nissa, and I hadn't looked up the price before I cracked it. And I was pretty stoked because I knew it was probably something like 100 to 150. No, dude. There are zero left listed of any condition on TCG Player as of the recording of this podcast. Over in Europe, there's like three or four listings left, and they start at like 300 euro. Whoa. In Japan, Haruyuya has zero copies listed, and it's sold out at 500 US. So, <laughs> took a look at the Haruyuya inter- inventory, period. It's fully targeted. Sold out of almost all relevant foil Japanese planeswalkers from, from war. Um, TCG, all the major names have been drained down to either zero or a very low number of copies and are pushing, have been pushed real high. So this is the list of remaining Planeswalkers with commander uh, desirability, in some cases slash great art, um, that are still out there and available and hopefully will be by the time you hear this. If you're a pro trader, you're going to hear it two days early, so your chances are going to be better. Maybe your local shop has some copies available that they haven't repriced yet. Maybe you've got access to Europe where some of these are still relatively cheap um, and you can make some good money on arbitrage. And even if you got to scoop them off TCG player at the prices I'm posting, I think you're going to do just fine. So let me throw through these pretty quickly here. Jiang Yang Yu, Wildcrafter Anime, uh, basically makes your all your creatures with plus one plus one counters into Birds of Paradise. Doesn't give them flying, but lets them tap for any color of mana. Foils can be still found around 8 bucks. I think these are going to hit 20 plus pretty easily. The art's cute, and the card shows up in a few thousand EDH rec decks, which is respectable. Plus one, plus one counter themes are never going to go anywhere. They're only going to get further and further reinforced because it's a, a go-to play element for wizards. Sahili Sublime Artificer is a uh, another uncommon uh, alternate art foil. And keep in mind that there's, there's two major factors here. One, you only get uh, alternate art in half of the packs in Japanese War, although there is a Planeswalker slot in every pack. And so, and the foil drop rate being boosted by 50% didn't kick in until the next set, Core 2020. So this is old foil drop rates in their own weird slot, they're not that easy to find. I, I cracked nine boxes today, and I think I pulled four or five. I think six. Six foil planeswalkers out of nine boxes, uh, three of which were rare and three of which were uncommon. And so Zahili shows up in more like 8,000 decks, so has the highest play profile. Um, 
target that somewhere around 25 to hit 35 or 40. Gideon Blackblade is actually the cheapest foil mythic planeswalker, and they are very hard to find. But he's also got the weakest play pattern. He's only only shows up in 1,800 reported decks on EDH Rec and doesn't really see much play anywhere else other than casual. So it's mostly a collector card in this context. But because they are sitting around at 30, I think you can reliably expect them to push up to 50 or 60. Uh, and then the final pick is Domri Anarch of Volas, um, animated uh, or anime version. Those foils are currently around 16 bucks, and I think they're going to push 30 plus. It's actually in 4,500 plus EDH rec decks, so and the art is fantastic on that card. So I could easily see them catching up with some of the others that have already exploded. I mean, we we have talked about it. We will talk about it, and I'm I'm with you that the um, pressures from assorted sources are there, and. Um, Wizards had this was really the the beginning of Wizards figuring out how hard they can grab our wallets, but the they didn't realize they could do it in uh, collector booster packs. Like this is um, well, they they probably had that on deck, but this was you know planned two years ago or whatever when they first came up with the concept. That's true. Them. They they did need to contact all the artists way ahead of time for something like this really impressed they kept all this secret to be honest yeah we talked we, we talked on my twitch stream last night about how this secret didn't leak till very close to release yeah. where and all i heard maybe two weeks ahead of time was that japanese war boxes were worth a look because they were going to have something weird about them and i and i talked about it with travis on cast a couple days later and i was like maybe there's going to be cards that are only available in Japan. And Travis was like, they'll never do that, blah, 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 blah. And here we are a year later, and boy, do we look naive, because, you know, Ikoria, they basically did the same thing again with some of the Godzilla cards, and they've shown every willingness to isolate cards in specific products. Now, now hold on. You're, that, that's different from, like, you have versions only available in one localized area. Like, that... Keep, that's just rep- a different version of a card that already exists like that's but but from a tr- true in terms of in terms of it's true in terms of whether players can access cards for play yeah this is not nexus of fate type of stuff where you have to do the buy a box to get the card Correct. this is just a different version this is a collector version this is a chase version of something that's a you know there is yes there is a uh, a foil, a mono Liliana Dreadhorde General that is uh, four figures and climbing, um, but that's also a twenty dollar card. I think she's twenty dollars in her regular version. Whatever she is. Yeah, yeah, she's like eighteen bucks. But but that's actually the point is that you don't need cards to be uniquely available solely in a certain geographic region. You just need a version to be in that situation for it to be a big gainer. Because as we saw with Japanese War, and we're getting a little ahead of ourselves here, but it spiked really hard. Boxes were over $200 in late May last year and into June of 2019. People said, ah, don't buy any of that stuff. It's going to get so cheap. They're going to flood the market. And they did try to. They released a bunch of inventory midsummer, and it certainly pushed prices back down on a lot of these cards, and people bought them as they were cheap. But here we are, less than a year later. the The set is out of print. There are still boxes floating around, but they're draining. They're draining hard. 
And that's because there isn't that much supply. The hype cycle is over. No, nobody's running, you know, making a point of running out to buy these. They're going to turn into a collector's item. And the market is going to be able to sustain current price points. A mono is now, a, is, is now an iconic card. And that's never going to change. And Japan is paying 2600 I think we referenced last week uh, on some buy lists. And prices are posted between $3,000 and $4,000. It's crazy. So let's finish the rest of our picks here, and then we'll dip into this a bit deeper. Um, what's your first pick this week? Uh, my first pick this week is uh, Foil Niv-Mizzet Reborn out of, amusingly, War of the Spark. Um, there, right now, there's uh, under, like, 70 copies on TCG Player at Foil. Uh, you can get it for around 16 It seems like an easy pick to double up into the $30 range. Uh, bring to Niv to Light is a combo deck in Modern. Where when you cast it, you're going to get a bunch of cards back. And Pioneer. Uh, it's super sweet. In Commander, you can have it as your Commander and just build your deck to draw the full 10. Uh, you can have it in your Dragon deck and draw three cards, which is how I usually play it. So there's just nothing but goodness to be had here. Um, and this is the last set with just foils. There's not a borderless foil to go chase. There's nothing like that. So... Go pick up your foils, uh, put them aside for a bit, and watch them grow. Yeah, this is one of my pick many weeks back. I think we established it was either early 2020 or late 2019. Um, and the niv five-color decks in both formats have just continued to top eight despite all the other brokenness going on around them. That suggests to me that it's got some staying power and that any bannings in, in those formats just make this deck even more viable. So... Because it's not really a deck that responds to the meta, per se. It's a deck that has uh, a lot of flexibility in terms of which multicolor spells it can silver bullet up and make use of. Uh, so, it's a mythic. <laughs> it's from a set that's going to be in very high demand. Um, in theory, when, while that set is in print... The price has been repressed, but even non-foil copies are likely to be gainers once war boxes dry up. And I think even regular war boxes are going to approach 150 much sooner than your average standard set does. And the Japanese ones will push 200, maybe 300 uh, down the road. All of which says Niv-Mizzet is in pretty good position. So I, I, I like the pick. I liked it months ago. There's still some meat on that bone uh, for a foil mythic. Uh, are you picking the non-foil here or the foil? Foil, yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, my sheet should say foil. Yeah. Because I think non-foils are still available in the like, 3 to $4 range, and it's a longer-term pick, but they're probably solid grab as well. Because, I mean, this, this card is commander-useful as, as well as it is uh, constructed playable. Um, so my last pick is Fiery Emancipation. This is my mythic pick for Core 21. I think lots of other people in the vendor and finance space would agree. Um, it was as low as five bucks in North America on the weekend, but has already been pushed up to eight. It's probably still a buy at eight. I liked it a lot better at five. And if you want $5 copies and below, you can still get them in Europe. So I think that's the play if you got access to arbitrage there uh, via cardmarket.com, etc. Um, I suspect J Japan will underprice these uh, relatively soon. And here's the thing, COVID plus Somerset plus Mythic plus EDH staple means money. I, I look at this card as if it's not great henge level of play, playability, it's 
pretty close. So if Great Hinge is an 8 or a 9, this is a 6 or a 7, just in the sense that there are less red decks uh, looking for this card. Like, there are less red decks overall than there are green decks in Commander. So um, it's a maybe not quite top tier, but it's very close. And I'm almost 100 copies deep on this card already, close to five, and have every confidence that give it 12 to eight months, this will be a 10 to $15 card with a buy listed like eight or nine bucks or something. Now you picked non-foils, and the only things, these I have two concerns. Number one, um, this feels like a card that could fit the Double Masters theme. I don't know if they want to throw some triples in there, but I'd be worried about Double Masters, and I would be wanting to get out um, this this just feels so much like a card that's going to get reprinted in X Commander decks going forward. Now, I you can say that about a lot of cards, and I, I do think this is a great pick at 8, because uh, going to 18 uh, it seems like a pretty straightforward curve, given how awesome this card is, and how it's got no drawback for you, not like Furnace of Wrath or um, some of the other, the other effects that do things like this. Um are you worried about the reprint risk for this? It's absolutely going to see a reprint, but I see that as very long-term, like two to three years down the road being the the soonest likely spot. I mean, it literally just got printed. And even though Wizards is being very aggressive with reprints, they're not being very aggressive with cards that are still in print. I mean, the most notable one lately, of course, was Fabled Passage. And there are commander staples that are getting versions constantly, Soul Ring, Solemn Simulacrum, etc., mana crypt um but i don't see this as being on that level and it's also i think actually if anything more insulated from showing up in something like a challenger deck you know a challenger deck in the spring used to only contain cards that were in their final six months of play for standard so that vendors had more time to make money on the singles and then they changed that policy last year and so now it's basically fair game for anything so that challenger decks are very threatening to something like a fabled passage where if you go in deep if you buy up some Fable Passage this month thinking, well, you know, it's such a staple, they're not going to reprint it again, and then it shows up in the Challenger decks, you're getting bit in the ass. But this thing is clearly designed for Commander and very unlikely to see standard play. So it seems to me like it's got it's going to get an easy two years before it sees a reprint. Okay, all right. I can, I can get behind that. I mean, it's a, it's a mythic. The other thing is if... if you know, we haven't seen Great Henge show up randomly in something else this year. We're not we're not seeing stuff in print catch reprints very often. So, no, I don't I don't have tremendous worries about it. I I would normally be looking at the extended arts and extended art foils for something like this, and they're okay priced in Europe. But I think the return on investment in this particular case looks better for the non foils near five. And in North America right now, it's closer to eight, but somewhere in that range, five to eight for, say, a double up versus, you know, picking up a $30 uh, foil extended art and waiting for it to get to 60 to 100. Both are reasonably, you know, quasi-legitimate plays, but some of the success of this card seems to have been baked in even overseas. So I really want to see those prices drop before I go after the extended arts. I'm with you. I don't think the EAs will will drop at all for what it's worth. Um, like I think every everyone that gets open, like this is such a cool commander card that somebody's gonna snap it up, trade it away. Um, I don't think you're gonna get that many of them into circulation 
Although um, the collector boosters for M21, um, isn't the Mythic, there's another, an extra slot, right? Okay, so that's one of the other factors that has me on pause for a lot of the extended arts. I, I have bought some, but only ones that I thought were especially cheap. The extended art slots usually added up in a 12-pack box to three or four um, extended art foils, and you mostly get rares and occasionally a mythic. But in the Core 21 collector booster boxes, they are ridiculously generous. I think it's more like an average of six or seven foil extended arts. And interestingly enough, there's a lot of jank. There's so, a lot of really bad rares in this set, so it's contributing <laughs> to that jankster pieces concept that we've talked about. Um, but there are more of them. So a lot of the crackings I've seen of the Core 21 collector boosters look ridiculously valuable, and the market seems to be absorbing a lot of these cards relatively well so far, so they're holding uh, a, a pretty strong uh, valuation. It, I really need to know how quickly the collector boosters are going to dry up here. If it turns out that they hit 250, similar to Ikoria, within six weeks, because there just isn't much more left in the distribution pipeline in North America, then they're, they're going to be very desirable. You know, we just put in another group buy on a couple hundred Ikoria and Core 21 collector booster units for our members. And we got them under 200, and I think I feel very confident, given where Arcoria already is in the North American marketplace, and where I think Core Twenty One is headed. So, yeah, I mean, so far I've been ignoring most of the extended arts. But for instance, I almost put Foil Extended Art Pack Leader on my list this week because you can get them for three bucks on TCG Player, and people will say, "Wow, people that are building cat and dog decks don't." Don't foil them out. I don't think that that's ever been proven to be true. And if it ever was true, I think it's become less and less true over time. That just because the concept of a commander deck seems more casual, like it's thematic as opposed to competitive, doesn't mean that people aren't going to put money into the deck. In fact, if they're pet owners, they might put more money into that deck than they put into some other deck. So I'm very curious to see whether foil extended art pack leaders at three bucks are a future $10 plus card in not too long. Okay. So your, your final pick. Oh, my last pick this week is the, um, planeswalker weekend promo version of Karn's bastion. Uh, you can find it online for around $3. Uh, this is the, uh, spot where you would get like the foil full art time wipe. And they stopped doing these versions of cards in order to just, like, they start handing out random promo pack cards now on the special weekend. They've changed how they do this. Um, this has a Sweet War of the Spark foil watermark. Um, Karn's Bastion is in a ton of decks, uh, 15,000 and counting on EDH rec. And uh, I just think that this is the most rare version of a card that's all over the place. And that's where I want to be. There's a lot of copies of Karn's Bastion out there, but this is one of those pick up cheap, uh, put in long term storage, and uh, surprise yourself in a year or two when you can buy list them for you know twice what you paid. My concern with this one was that there was a promo and a pack foil. I pulled the Japanese pack foil today. They're gorgeous. The promos are even better. And to me, this was this. I think we made this a cast pick 
last summer and it was predicated on you're going to have to hold this for a while because there's a lot of inventory but it's going to be see a very high level of play and that has proven out as you said there's 15,000 recorded decks on EDH rec which means there's probably 100 or 200,000 out there uh, players that are playing with the card it slid right into my attracts the deck and will never leave tons of other counters themes that can also make use of it so and it's a very unique effect i mean there there will be others down the road but it's not the kind of thing that they print something similar to very often um so yeah i think this one's just a matter of time the, it, it's not hasn't drained to the point where i feel like i need to jump in hard yet and i suspect that they are still pretty cheap in europe and have relatively deep supply but i will definitely be keeping an eye on this one for the longer term all right uh, so our last segment this week, uh, we've alluded to it several times. Uh, Japanese War of the Spark is, uh, let's see, to do the two sentence. Give us two sentences to summarize your feelings on what people should do with Japanese and War of the Spark. Uh, you know what? I'll be generous. Have three. Three sentences. Go. Japanese War of the Spark is probably the best deal on sealed product anywhere in Magic. One. Two more sentences to go, buddy. The EV contribution from the Amano, Foil Amano, and the other Tier 2 anime planeswalkers is ridiculous. Bring it home. These are out of print, currently available relatively cheaply, but that will not last. That's pretty phenomenal. I think the only thing you could have done is work a reference to our group buy-in there, and we'll get to that. Yeah, I mean, we, we were picking them up at 96 a box, 576 a case. And we've picked up a few hundred boxes so far. And there's hunger for more because they've ar- started arriving this week and we started cracking them. And while it's true, as I alluded earlier, that you can get a mediocre box, as you can with any $100 booster box, you can open, I think the first box I opened out of my two cases was uh, worth about 60 bucks. So just, I just hit very poorly all the way through. I think my foil planeswalker was a Nahiri. It, there wasn't, there was no other, none of the 10 or 15 major planeswalker hits were present, or maybe only two of them were. So yeah, I, I hit like 60 bucks and I was like, okay, that's a bad box. But the reality is that the upside when you open in volume is so high <laughs> that given that an Amano Liliana is worth at least $2,000, and if you believe Japanese pricing, closer to 4000 and that's not the only fantastic card you can open. So I went through nine boxes today. I think box six, I opened uh, foil uh, regular art Narset in Japanese, which is a $15 card. Um, And being able to get those $15 foils or $15 uncommons, non-foil. If you get a anime Narset, non-foil, that's 15 bucks. Um, Contributes a lot. You hit an animated, uh, an anime Teferi, you're talking $25 or $30, and it's going to head up over time. And if you hit foil of any of the above, if you hit your Amano, of course, if you hit Nisa, like I did today in, in that box, that basically paid for a case. Because Nisa's 
some arguably somewhere between 350 and 500 right now. The case was 576. So Nissa plus like four other cards for sure covers the case. And it could turn out that by the time I sell the Nissa, she could pay for the case by herself. And you're going to hit at least a foil uncommon walker in most boxes. And then you've got a 1 in 180 chance at the foil of mono. Very low chance, but a lot better than almost any other sealed offering, given that that contributes by itself $22 in EV. So if you got your box for 96, you can consider it a $74 purchase on the admittedly very low and swingy chance of hitting the Amano. But keep in mind that even the non-foil Amano, there's only three mythic planeswalkers that can show up in the slot and you're about 50-50 or something to hit like one per box um, because 18 of the 36 packs will have regular art. So I, I had two boxes that hit regular Liliana's, which are only worth 17 bucks. If they had been a monos, they're somewhere between 100 and 150 right now. Those are those are those sting when you hit them, but you've also got Karn, you've got Ugin, you've got uh, Narset, Ashiok, Jace, uh, Wielder of Mysteries. You've got Nicol Bolas. The list goes on. This is the best accumulation of Planeswalkers ever printed by design, and the set has a whole bunch of other hits. You hit a Finale of Devastation. That's a twenty dollar mythic. You hit uh, you know a Foil Karn's Bastion. That's going to be worth a few bucks down the road. You you get pick out uh, Japanese Dovin's vetoes. Those are a buck or two bucks down the road. There's uh, tokens. The Oketra tokens are three or four bucks. That's the uh, four four vigilance zombie creatures, and you get like one of those per box. The the overall EV of these boxes is very solid with so much upside. Your average case is pretty easily going to pay for itself with the top ten cards you pull which gives you a lot of cards for free. The downside opening any foreign product is that you can't really uh, out your bulk very easily, but there aren't actually a ton of non-Planeswalker uh, commons or uncommons in this set that you would want to be bulking out anyway. And most, so most of the notable pulls are pretty easy to sell even in Japanese. Like I can move a Finale of Devastation at English pricing without breathing hard. And the anime planeswalkers are, when they're sought after, they're sought after with full foreknowledge that these are Japanese. You know, like that's kind of the whole point. And they're massive collector items at this point. They're never going to reprint these. The, clo- the, the closest they came to reprinting these was giving us extra waves and then giving us the stained glass walkers so that they could leverage the, in the near term, the equity of this incredible number of planeswalkers they coughed up all at once. But the stained glass planeswalkers have not impacted the price of these (laughs) at all. And on the contrary, when I called the uh, stained glass Ashioks a while back at 12 bucks, which are still available at about the same price because uh, the star uh, secret layer stargazing or whatever has been landing the second wave of it, pushing the prices of those back down. All of those are going to be very similar. They they are stained glass and English. So for the people that don't like playing with foreign cards, those are all going to pump up later too. It's just going to be a matter of time. Give those six months to 12 months and you're going to see them climb in a similar fashion because they're just as hard to come by and just as hard to restock. I think that the um, the secret layer, uh, 
that's going to have a price pressure on it. Um, I saw people complaining on Twitter that theirs weren't going to get fulfilled for another month or two. Like Wizards is apparently super behind on those due to, um, you know, the problems everybody is having with coronavirus and shipping and um, just printing. Uh, I mean, Secret Layer is the version you want if you prefer cards you can read. I know there's a subset of Commander players who, you know, I have to be able to read my cards. And that's perfectly valid, but yeah, these um, these alternate art in Japanese are the chase, and um, it's really a, a phenomenally designed thing. And the the capstone is really how they manage to nab everybody who um, has that. What's the word I'm looking for? That Final Fantasy nostalgia, because that's what Amano is probably most famous for. Um, that's the only place I, I knew his art from. And it's like, oh, now that I'm not a kid, I have this disposable income like you were talking about. I can go chase one of these. I, I did chase one of them. Somebody opened one in my store, and I, uh, I think I traded him way too much stuff just to have it, because I had to have it. And I wanted to have it, and now I have it, and I'm very happy I have it. But it's not foil, which is, okay, I'll live. But um, the the confluence of factors in this, um, they, they're clearly aware of just how badly we want to chase sweet collector versions of things. And it's both gratifying and a little terrifying that now we're going to get things like the, the VIP collector booster. And um, they're they're figuring out how to monetize our rabid desire for these things. But at least it's nice we can buy it directly instead of having to, um, you know, secondary market it. The Japanese war boxes are very unique because they it shows up six months before collector boosters. And from here on out, that's going to be the route they're taking. We already see with Double Masters, we've got the VIP boosters at 100 bucks a pop. And the route that they are, they're looking to take with premium product from here on out is very obvious. There, there's always going to be a second tier beyond regular boxes. And it's now clear it's going to be more or less all products. I wouldn't even be surprised if they try <clears throat> premium commander decks. Alt art commander decks at 100 bucks a pop. All foil commander decks at 100 bucks a pop. All of these things are possible on the go forward. I hope they're not listening. <laughs> they must have already figured this out. They, th- those will sell like hotcakes. If they have premium commander decks within the next year, I will not be surprised in the slightest. And the reality is that the it wasn't just a mono. There are all of the rest of the artists. Uh, there was a different artist for every uh, one of the Planeswalkers. And a lot of them have other video game or manga associations in Japan. Um, and I don't think all of them turned out exquisitely, but enough of them did that there are 10 or so that are going to be worth a lot of money. I mean, let's just take a look at some of the cards I didn't call out um, as stuff people could go after because there basically aren't any. So Tamio, Collector of Tales is two copies left on TCG Player at 100 to 110. Uh, the Ugin alt art Japanese foils are 55, 60, and 70. 
you could probably snap one of the, the cheapest copy off there and expect it to go 100 plus in short order here. Because where are the additional copies going to come from to push it back down? Jace, Wielder of Mysteries, uh, in part hinges on whether Inverter stays present in Pioneer, but is still a fantastic uh, uh, commander card at minimum and could have a future in Pioneer or Modern as additional cards are printed. The thing about Blue-Black Inverter is if they get rid of one of the pieces but then print something similar down the road, the deck could still come back together. Um, so Jace, Wielder of Mysteries foils. I had one posted, I think at 60 something that I bought at 30 something when they were at their lows late last year and just basically took it off eBay today because there are four copies left from 60 to 100 on TCG. So now I'm going to aim for 100 plus on those. Sorens are sitting around 35 or so with a few copies left and then they're, they climb out into the stratosphere. Who knows where that one will land? Somewhere between 60 and 100, probably. Chandra foils can be had under 30, but there's very that's starting to drain as well. That could easily have ended up on my list. The Karn, the Great Creator foils are gorgeous. I have one that I buy listed in at, I think, $90 value um, in the winter. But the reality is that the um, two copies left on TCG are posted at 150 and 200 so even if that only hits 200, that's going to be a double up. So you're not just fishing for a mono. Um, all, most of the rest of these Planeswalkers that are a big deal are either uncommons or rares. So they're a lot easier to find than the foil of mono, which is a mythic. And I suspect, I haven't run the final math on this, but I'm going to try. I suspect the EV contribution of foil Altart Walkers in a case of War of the Spark on average will cover a third to a half of the cost of the case. And if you get lucky with one of the top 10 foils, then your whole case might be covered, especially if you're looking looking at the price a year out as opposed to right now. And this was um, what happened with the masterpieces, right? With the inventions and to a lesser degree, the invocations, but that was just more because of card choice. When you have one or two cards added to you know an average set you know war of the sparks cards are good you know they have a lot of uh, value in the uncommons as well but like you have like even if there weren't these chase alternate art planeswalkers you would still have solid value you know you're a, a year out we're a year and a half uh, past war of the spark and you know the Liliana's still 18. You've got Finale of Devastation at 20. You've got some some value in there. And then you add to it just this pure extra value. Not to mention, you know, getting uh, prices like our Discord group buy got at $100 a box. Like it's, it's just free money. And it is truly impressive that we have gotten so much out of this and why has nobody else caught on well people have caught on like hundreds of boxes moved from europe to north america over the last week we weren't the only ones buying there are definitely people stockpiling this there are definitely people out there targeting the foil animated anime planeswalkers people know this that knew that this was going to happen but there's been so much else going on and the world is so crazy right now that for a lot of players this will they'll just wake up one morning and realize wow that's a really expensive set to try to collect. Like it's essentially 
akin to foil seventh edition or something like that it's going to be the kind of thing that you know a 100k plus household player targets and acquires slowly over time treating themselves every other payday or something and there's also this lottery t- ticket aspect to this. Like, consider that people buy into beta starter and alpha starter openings on Facebook all the time, right? Where on average, they might put in a few hundred bucks and they get back a pristine beta basic land or something worth 20 or 30 bucks. And if they're very, very lucky, they have a shot at something ex- like truly amazing. But the lottery ticket aspect of this is going to be a big, big deal because if you look at Kaladesh booster boxes, they are relatively hard to come by at this point and they range in the $200 to $300 range. And the best card you could pull out of that would be like Masterpiece Soul Ring. Call that a three to $400 card max. A mono is potentially worth 10 times that. And the boxes are <laughs> half to more than half the cost of Kaladesh boxes. So there's no doubt in my mind that Japanese war boxes are a fantastic thing to put away. And we called them on cast a few few weeks ago as a result. And the the move is definitely to hold and flip later at two to three hundred. That's gonna be your most secure return on investment. I don't even think you'll have to hold them that long. Could be six months, could be twelve, could be eighteen, depends how quickly the market hollows. I don't have perfect visibility on how much is left in the distributor chain worldwide but i am you know i know i can tell you this much that the vendor that was selling us the first allocations that we're cracking this week has now turned that faucet off they said they're sold out and i know that they had hundreds when it started a couple weeks ago so that's a lot of inventory that has now exited the the broader marketplace never to return and the lottery ticket aspect of being able to say to somebody okay Here is a, you know, $4 pack and you can get a $4,000 card. (laughs) There's nothing like that in Magic. Not not anywhere. A revised pack will will cost you considerably more and your, your upside is still pretty similar, right? Like other than a Lotus, most of the other stuff you could pull if you graded it Oh, sorry, uh, an unlimited booster pack would be orders of magnitude more expensive. And your your realistic best case scenario is still a lot worse or a lot worse, at least relatively speaking, when you compare the ratio of cost to benefit. And, and the whole thing here is that it, in the same way that an unlimited booster pack can have any of the power nine, there are about 10 of the foil animated planeswalkers that are likely to be 200 plus culminating in this two to four thousand dollar card so i ordered some more let's put it that way i'm working on another group buy to get another couple hundred units available for the pro traders because i think we've got the demand to cover it and it it might be the mtg finance move of the year to move in on this because the interesting thing here is those of us without discipline that cracked, I cracked nine boxes in 24 hours. Um, usually that's the wrong move. Like if you crack collector booster boxes, like Ikoria collector, if you get a, a Ikoria collector booster at 190 that you could have flipped for 250 and you crack it instead, you're totally rolling dice and it's suboptimal. And it's suboptimal with these boxes too, but in quantity, 
you're going to be just fine. Like my top five cards is worth about 750 bucks and I paid 576 a case. Everything else is free money. Like when I'm selling that, my cost allocation on, on those sales will be $0. I, I, I mark those in my spreadsheet at one cent. So if I'm selling a, you know, anime Narset for 20 bucks in a year, that's going to be 20 over one cent because I have the Nissa and four or five other of the foils I cracked. Like I got two RAL foils that are currently 30 bucks, but will probably end up 60 to 70 and the Nissa and a few other things. And that easily covered that case. So uh, you mentioned that you're working on getting more of a, um, a group buy going on for our pro traders who are in the discord. Um, let me take this opportunity again to remind every pro trader that the discord is something you're already paying for. Yeah. And if you, if you like the sound of getting in on buys like this, uh, we've had some really phenomenal buys over the, how long we've we been doing the discord about a year, year and change. Yep. And I added up the value of the group buys and it's in the hundreds of thousands of dollars spent okay, by the pro that... traders so far. That's now that's all our pro traders together spending money on this, but we've had um, categories of it that um, like we've had you buy sealed stuff. We had um, the mystery booster buy from Europe. Singles, yeah. The the two biggest categories are definitely premium sealed product and discounted singles that are cracked overseas. Both of which are phenomenal to get. Yeah, any one of those buys can justify the $80 a year membership. Zero qualms about making that claim. It's absolutely true. And if you come into the Discord and check out our testimonials from members, you'll see it to be true. And it's not just, a, I'm not pointing this out just to toot the pro trader horn. Whether or not you want to be a pro trader, you should at least be investigating these same opportunities on your own. <laughs> because ignoring this stuff and trying to do whatever, you know, 10 years ago logic, focusing on standard staples or whatever, you're just, you're leaving yourself in the dust. That we're in a whole different world now, a world of COVID and premium product and global arbitrage. And if you want to make the game cheaper for yourself at minimum or collect more efficiently, you definitely want to be paying attention to this stuff. That's what I wanted to make clear to everybody. Um, Anything else you wanted to say about Japanese Wireless Park or the Discord before we move on to the bannings? Nope, think I'm good. Okay. Uh, I, I I will say I will say that there there is not about Japanese War of the Spark, but I will say one other thing. Japanese Ikoria is worth a look because remember, it's not quite the same situation, but Japanese Ikoria regular booster boxes have a box topper just like they all do but that box topper is the foil japanese box topper the box toppers are not all in english globally they are uh language localized so if you want a foil japanese Ghidorah or um space godzilla or um uh mothra that's where they come from and they also have access to the three or four Japanese exclusive Godzilla cards, which only came out of those boxes and Japanese collector booster boxes. 
They were supposed to be in all the booster boxes, French and English as well, but they didn't end up there. So they were in these weird uh, oopsie packs that were sent out to distributors and kind of trickled down through vendors to players. And a lot of them just had the Mothra's cocoon. <laughs> like I saw a bunch of them get open that were like foil Mothra's cocoon, two Mothra cocoon, and like a Sprite Dragon or something. So those exclusives are harder to come by outside of the Japanese boxes on the open market. That probably contributes a little bit to the, the value. And I think Ikoria collect Ikoria regular boxes are going to be not as good as Japanese War, but they're going to be a gainer as well. I can believe that, especially um, uh, with the idea of they did the oopsie packs and that's the only distribution that they really got widely. Yeah, of the exclusives for sure. And the other thing to keep in mind is that it used to be relatively easy to get foreign product in North America, and now Wizards has to make a conscious effort to distribute. So, for instance, we've noticed for Double Masters, m most mid to large size vendors have had pre orders for Japanese VIP packs and Japanese boxes, but they dried up pretty quick. So, the inventory is present, but not in super high volume. And, and keep in mind that those Japanese VIP booster packs are two foil Japanese box toppers. <laughs> so you're going to get something like a foil Japanese box topper Chase the Mind Sculptor, <laughs> rumored to be in that set, um, foil Japanese box topper Doubling Season. Um, it's going to be pretty gross. Just like... How much of a heart attack? I'm so. Are you going to keep opening until you hit the foil lily? Hitting a foil lily is so unlikely. Like we had one member that bought twenty-four boxes. That's four cases of six boxes a piece, and because they're all unique cases, that that probably helps with his uh, likelihood. Uh, you know, if you were buying mixed boxes out of other cases, it's possible people would have like cracked a case till they hit one and then sold you the other boxes or something. Um, but these were clean, fresh cases. He has a 13% chance of opening a foil uh, a mono. So if that card is worth, let's call it, even if it's just 2,500 for argument's sake, and he's he basically has 13% of one. And that adds $325 of EV to his four cases that were roughly two grand. So that's just on the premise that he might want it of 180 times in a foil amano. And it still covers off a decent chunk of his case. <clears throat> Not to mention all of the other stuff. Like uncommons like Narset Altart, as I mentioned earlier, are 15 bucks, right? So. It's not hard to get your your money back on a box. I would say in your average case, you might have two $60 boxes, 60 to $70 boxes, two boxes that are about close to what you paid, like 90 to 110 kind of thing. And then the other two will have something crazy, like one of them will have an Amano, which is 100 to, 100, 100 to $200, pays for two of the boxes by itself. In my nine boxes, I only opened one Amano. But that still was a major contributor. Between the Amano and the the foil Nissa, we're talking five hundred dollars in value, minimum. 
And one of our members who opened uh, a bunch of stuff, I think, was getting was averaging in a mono per case, so like one every five or six boxes or so. And so that's you know a third to a quarter of his cases covered just by a single card. It's true. So if that's what you're going for, I mean, when, you said you opened nine. So what's gonna What's going to be your, I'm done opening them. Like you've got how many uh, paper cuts? You've got a certain number of <laughs> uh, scratches on your face after like just mashing your face into a box. I don't know what's going to stop you. Nine boxes is a ton of packs, buddy. Like, do we need to have an intervention here? When you are, say, say you open a whole bunch of boxes of a regular standard product, often... Even if you your EV of the box you crack is in theory as good as what you paid for it, say you get a hundred dollars in cards on paper, the reality is that a lot of those are two and three dollar cards, right? And it's really hard to extract your value. Like for instance, I've been telling people I don't sell cards under ten dollars, generally speaking. Like I'll sell a playset for you know four or five dollar cards for twenty, but I'm not going to post a card for five dollars. So. Two and three dollar cards just basically go in my collection unless I can sell them as a playset because I'm not ever going to list them. So I don't really consider them to be EV contributors. The nice thing here is if you get a case of Japanese War, you are probably going to be able to sell your top three, your top five, your top ten cards and cover the case. And then you can hit reroll on another case if they're still available at a decent price. And I think, honestly, Japanese War under 130 is probably a buy. So even if you're not a pro trader, if you're just looking on eBay and whatever, there are boxes out there for 115, 120. I, I think those are rock solid. Especially because that means you're not paying the shipping costs. They are. Yeah, and if you're disciplined, and you don't need any of these cards and don't care about them, and you you don't feel any compulsion to open them, just put them in the closet. Come back every three months or so and check whether it's time to sell. Trust me, you're going to be happy with the result. But if you are you know a degenerate gambler like me and you like to open five or six thousand dollars worth of product a year for funsies just to keep in touch with what what it is like to open this product um i think you will be pleasantly surprised at how this set opens in volume okay all right i can see that you didn't answer the question so you're going to keep opening boxes i respect that too that's well, cool. sorry that's what, cool. what question do you want me to answer how many more boxes are you going to open oh i don't know <laughs> The, the thing is, I can re-roll so easily. I can re-roll so easily that I definitely have not been discouraged. Had I not hit the foil Nissa, then I would have been, I don't know. Case Thinking was five seventy. Well, yeah, I mean, case would have been five seventy six, and I probably would have hit like seven twenty in value or something without the Nissa. But with the Nissa, it was over a thousand on five seventy six paid, and I could probably sell the top five cards in a week if I wanted to. And that's not the kind of situation that discourages you from gambling. Okay. So there, and, and, and there's also this fact that the foil walkers are drying up. You know, the ones that are $15 today could be 50 in a year. So that changes the math, too, a lot. All right. We have our answer from the degenerate gambler. I can, um, I would not stop you. Uh, if you're having fun and you're making your valiant, that's that's the joy of it. You've, you've got that going. There's also one other thing to mention, something I bought in Europe. I can't remember if we talked about this last week. 
There are Core 2020, not 21, Core 2020 from last summer, promo packs. And this was, they announced when Japanese War was very hard to find in early summer 2019, they announced that they were going to get a quote-unquote reprint vis-a-vis inclusion in one of the slots in these in the premium promo packs for Core 2020. And everybody was like, see, they're going to be everywhere. Every LGS is getting those. They're going to be so common. <laughs> Not so fast. They only show up in the designated slot one in every four packs. And premium promo packs generally go for about $20 plus. So I bought a bunch of them in Europe last week. Even though I did the math and realized that foil amanos come out of the regular booster boxes at a significantly better rate than these promo packs. But the promo packs are one-hit lottery tickets for an amano. So you'll be able to post those on like a Facebook group, like a Raz group or whatever, where you know pe- people um, basically buy a, a raffle ticket on an item. And you could put up those packs at 50 bucks or whatever, maybe a hundred down the road. And the, the sales pitch is simply that this gives you a one in 300 chance of pulling a foil Amano. And if the card is sitting at three to four grand at that point, some people are going to bite on that. And the packs are drying up hard as more people realize that this is one of the, it is the only other source of the foil Amanos. Um, and what's notable there is that the promo packs generally have had that silver planeswalker symbol. You know what I'm talking about? Right. So I assumed that the planeswalkers coming, the animated anime planeswalkers coming out of those packs would also have that symbol. They don't. They took them off the same print run as pack foils. So there's no like discount. You're not pulling foil a mono with a planeswalker symbol that may or may not be worth as much in the market, it's a straight-up foil mono when you hit it. So that's interesting. One other point I'll make is this. The actual rarest version is therefore not pack foils, but pre-release foils. Because the pre-release foils only existed in Japan. Pre-release kits everywhere else in the world just had regular versions the anime art foil pre-release promos were only at japanese lgs's that one weekend may 2019 and they are drying up even harder and currently they are discounted in price but i wonder if over time they will start to equalize like i think um i have one because i buy listed one from buy listed into one at card kingdom in January, February of this year, when I had like $9,000 worth of buy list credit to spend. And I was looking for $1,000 plus things that made sense. And they had an Amano Lily pre-release one in stock at $950. And I thought, okay, this is probably a slam dunk. At minimum, it's going to hold this price. And if the regular copy keeps going up and up and up, which so far it has, you know, this promo has to get pulled up with it because there's even less of these around. Like, they, there might be five times less of the previous promos. That seems generous. So. Like, five times fewer. I think I remember Travis tweeting it that weekend uh, when somebody posted a picture. He retweeted it and said something like, what are there, six of these in the world? Because 
Japanese war boxes were generated in a second wave that was sold all over the world. Hundreds of boxes were sold, uh, if not thousands, out of Europe this week. But the pre-releases are only in the, what, two, 100, 200 LGSs in Japan? And if you have 50 people buying pre-release kits that weekend, how many you know Amanos were opened per 50 people? 0.2? 0.1? <laughs> Like I, I did the math that there was probably three to four thousand foil amanos total in the world, and I suspect that pre-release amanos is below fifteen hundred. That that's probably about right. I would probably go a little bit lower than that, consider. But I don't know what the um, LGS distribution is like for Japan. Yeah, I mean, there there can't be more than a few hundred LGSs, and if we're talking about you know, comparing print run estimates. There's There's been this uh, print run comparison that's been floating around from the days where Magic still put out stats of this kind of thing. And unlimited Power 9, for instance, there are, in theory, something like 18,000 of each of those. So Liliana Amanos could be five times more rare than that. Yeah. Like, there are five, time, <laughs> five times less foil Amanos than there are Black Lotuses. And keep in mind, Black Lotus has other print runs, Beta and Alpha, which of course were pretty small. There was only 3,300 in Beta and 1,100 in Alpha. So total 22, 23,000 Lotuses, but there could be six times less Amanos. And, and, and somebody asked me the other day in our Discord... Uh, do you think that won't they just reprint these? And I said, what, where, why, how, <laughs> under what circumstances would they ever go back to this particular? Well, the closest uh, scenario that I can come up with is that they get real greedy and they do something like premium masters. And it's just all the premium cards from the last 10 or 15 years in these like $100 booster packs. So it's like all the inventions, it's all the invocations, it's expeditions, it's secret layer cards, it's the Japanese foil animated cards. Maybe. I mean, that's a that's a product somebody might pitch internally at Wizards. But it would be blowing a lot of collector equity and it's not clear that they need to do that given that the current model seems likely to be very successful reprints plus new cards collector boosters every time if it's a premium set they get vip booster packs now at 100 bucks a pop that's that seems sustainable like the collector boosters are selling and they seem to have dialed in about the right amount of uh or the right level of print run since the i think they overstepped with theros they've dialed it back for icoria and core 21 and the market seems to be pretty stable around these cards right now I think that, um, you know, um, Collector Masters is for sure a thing that could happen. Uh, I would also, like, I would take bets either way on Secret Lair uh, anime reprint where it has, like, a different frame or something else going on where they use the art but it's noticeably different than the original. I think something like that uh, is possible. Certainly, I don't think I would go so far as to say it will happen, but 
in the list of things they can do a secret lair for and charge ridiculous amounts of money for, that would be on the list. Like, what would somebody pay for, you know, the complete 30... It was 36, right? Yeah, 36 um, alternate art planeswalkers in a special frame. Not even, like, tiny symbol mystery booster style. You know, we're just talking... Um, See, a whole new frame, but with the same art, and you would be able to charge $500 for that, and you would sell thousands of that. It, it's possible down the road, but keep in mind, we, we are still getting stained glass planeswalkers right now, which were kind yeah. of the answer to this scenario already. Like, they had shown us the stained glass art. People asked, hey, why didn't you use that? And they were like, well, I guess we could, and they did. And now there are already three versions of these cards in the world the ones the regular art the anime art and the stained glass art so that's a lot they can rest on that for a while and and pay attention to other things for two three four five years before they even really need to think about this so now that's not to say that some of these cards are not going to catch a reprint but they're not going to catch a reprint with the anime art it's possible that they could end up reusing the art like you said but these are down-the-road things. Um, and I don't think they would impact the prices of the originals at all. Nope. So, uh, we can probably call that a, a wrap. The only other thing we should probably touch on is there is a banned and restricted announcement coming. Uh, and I think it's... What was the date on that? Probably Monday the 13th. So this coming okay. Monday. Uh, mm-hmm. And it's going to impact Historic, Pioneer, Modern, and Popper. Historic, we don't care about because that's a arena-only format, so who gives a crap what's getting banned there? Um, has no impact on paper. But Pioneer, Modern, and Popper is interesting. Popper could be getting a card back. Uh, I don't know what they would be getting banned, but it probably doesn't have much financial relevance. Pioneer and Modern are the most interesting. So... Brad Nelson posted that in the historic, he thinks it's Nexus and Llanowar Elves, whatever. Pioneer, Dig Through Time, Modern Astrolab, and Popper, who knows. So, Dig Through Time and Pioneer, I do have some foils. Not super deep on it. I think they're left over from the last time this card was a thing. I, I've sold some. There's still some in stock. Whatever. Being deep on Dig Through Time didn't seem wise to anybody since it was assumed that treasure cruise and dig through time would get a ban in pioneer eventually. So nobody's really been going hard uh, on those. They would have drained out a long time ago if we thought that the card had staying power in the format. So whatever astrolabs, if you opened modern horizons last summer, this would be another little needle in the eyeball that wizards was kind of uh, un was in had to ban something from that set now this was just a common so the only ones likely to have financial relevance is if you have bricks sitting around that you never took the opportunity to buy list or you have some foils that you haven't been able to out now i've sold many of my foils in the last few months at around 15 bucks a pop so i won't get be got caught holding more than a couple copies not really sure what else might be on the on the agenda in modern like Uro could catch some heat here in Pioneer and or Modern. It does seem to be all over the place. But to ban another major card out of one of the sets from this year just seems like real nasty. Because it's going to get to the point where sets printed in from Eldraine forward a year are going to be real tough to open. 
Theros and, and Eldraine specifically have the biggest challenges there where you get to the point where the cards, the best cards in those sets are just things that are real feel bad to crack open in a pack. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> there's um, some chatter that uh, Popper might get an unbanning instead of a banning, but that doesn't really move the needle on anything. Um, Faithless Looting is seems to be the popular choice on Twitter, but uh, who the hell knows? They have access to uh, all the magic online data and uh i i think you're right that's going to be more nibbles around the edges of things i don't think they're going for anything major but um you know it could be anything uh whatever they're most afraid of it would be nice uh to see the inverter deck take a hit in pioneer and reinvigorate that format a little bit that's probably something they're thinking about if inverter isn't necessarily the top deck it's the top deck you have to prepare for and being a i don't understand why you wouldn't just take out one of the problematic cards like why not just ban inverter kill the deck and move on why you're going to nibble at it with dig through time instead of addressing the actual deck but uh they did that with um with hogak remember they banned bridge from below first yep and uh, then they were like, okay, okay, we, we, we meant to say Hogak. We meant to say Hogak. Our bad. Our bad. But who knows, man. Um... So here's, here's another thing that's going on. Members were reporting selling a bunch of Splinter Twins. We saw that show up in the MTGO list, and apparently it was echoing in paper. So folks thinking oh. Splinter, Splinter Twin might be unbanned in Modern, which strikes me as not something that's on Wizard's agenda. Like, maybe that's a thing that they could do, and Modern would be no worse off right now, but it still doesn't seem like they have any reason to engage in that kind of risk. If you don't like the inverter... Well, I mean, like, you could... Modern's got a a lot of stuff going, but it's not the crazy combo-ish thing that Splinter Twin would turn it back into, perhaps. But Splinter Twin is is an interactable deck you know like i said before i think it's fairer than inverter like you have to do something to prepare for your combo you gotta have your spell sky you gotta have uh an extra counter spell at the ready but it's a it's something you can do stuff about and inverter just sucks (laughs) i would i would prefer them see just to to chuck inverter um get that particular combo out of here if you're going to do this you're going to do this the hard way with leveler you know but who knows? I'm I'm pretty over trying to predict wizards at this point. <laughs> Fair enough. All right. Well, I guess we can call that a wrap. Where can people find you online, Cliff? Uh, you can find me online every Friday on MTG Price. I have the Casual Fridays column as well as on Twitter at Word of Commander. And you folks can find me on Twitter at MTG Critic as well as via my occasional articles on MTGPrice.com. Most of the time, I'm haunting our ProTrader Discord, keeping the uh, wheels turning, as it were. I would also like to remind our listeners to check out the MTGPrice.com ProTrader service. For just $7.99 a month or $79.99 per year, you can get early access to this podcast, fantastic articles by the best MTG finance minds in the business, and a super active Discord forum that will drive better returns and save you a ton of money playing Magic the Gathering. Once again, MTG Fast Finance is proudly sponsored by Cool Stuff, Inc., where you can find all sorts of cool, nerdy stuff in stock. 
including all the best in Magic the Gathering singles, sealed product, and a plethora of other collectibles. Don't forget to use the promo code FINANCE plus the number 5 during checkout at CoolStuffInc.com to save you 5% off your order and support this podcast. James, you're not going to go open another box right now, are you? I can hear it in your voice. I can hear you trembling. You haven't opened packs in like two hours. You need to. You want to. You can't stop yourself. The only other three boxes that are in that room belong to one of our other members. I need to ship them out tomorrow, which will keep my fingers idle for a little while. But (laughs) I still have three or four packages inbound from overseas, including a pretty thick pile of Ikoria and Core 21 collector boosters. So there are some hot openings to come shortly. You, You opened nine boxes in a day because you could. You... I don't know enough words, buddy. I just don't. Seek help soon. That's all I got to say. Seek help soon. Thank you, Cliff. And we'll see you guys next week on another episode of MTG Fast Finance.